Welcome to this episode Let's Chat with our guest Brandon. This episode was a lot of fun. We had been planning it out for quite some time. Uh, originally we had this idea of doing five albums that transformed your life, but Mike and I had recently realized that every time we've tried to do an episode with a very narrow focus, it hasn't worked out. So we talked with Brandon again and finally got to set up a date, have him come on down, and we just kind of just talked about music, and it was a lot of fun, and man, it was just, it's funny how music can kind of be a time capsule of your life, like different songs or albums can really place you back in that moment, and leading up to this episode, I basically had rehearsed the episode in my head a hundred times, thinking of all the things I was going to talk about, and albums, and it was a lot of fun. I got to listen to a lot of music I haven't listened to in a while, and one thing I didn't really get to in the episode, but I just kind of had thinking about is this memory I have of sitting on my brother's old computer using Winamp and just listening to music. I was probably maybe going eighth, ninth grade era, and at this time I was really into rap music and hip-hop. And just listening to a lot of rock. So he was probably a freshman in college. And listening to his uh, Winamp playlist. And discovering Our Lady Peace. And Super Drag. And The Offspring. And ACDC. And really getting into classic rock. So that was a great memory. And I'm so happy that my parents raised me with tons of music in the household. When we had a record player. We listened to a lot of music. We went to a lot of concerts. As I uh, do plug in the episode, I mentioned that... My dad has a radio show called Acoustic Blender. If you don't happen to live in the Middletown, Connecticut region, you can find it on the TuneIn app. Uh, they have a Facebook page, facebook.com. I believe it's facebook.com slash acousticblender. I think the show is Tuesdays at 6.30. I'll post something on the Facebook. And I think the WESU, the Wesleyan University site, has archives, the past show. Uh, give them a listen. It's a, a great show, and if you catch it on the right day you could hear a promo that we recorded over here uh a big thanks to branding for coming out it was just so nice of him to come down on a friday after work and he works pretty far away and we were all pretty tired but man when we finally got that passion going about music it was so much fun and you couldn't you couldn't shut us up uh brandon's a great guy and i'm really we've become really good buddies and i'm it was just nice to have a chance to hang out with him and man him and mike love that classic rock well, without a further ado, here's this episode of Let's Chat. Beyonce at Coachella? Nope. She came out with Solange. Solange? Solange, I think. She came out with her sister. Solange has some really good songs. You are a Beyonce super fan? No. She has some powerhouse singles, though. Like, you can't deny it. Um, Very consistent. That's true. I like the Love on Top song a lot. I think I actually put it at my wedding. I won't sing it. Uh, Irreplaceable pretty good incorrect anything by destiny's child 
Uh, I'm a big fan of Bootylicious. Just I don't know. It was it was it was it was a big single when I was coming up. So I just I don't know. Guilty pleasure, I guess. Well, thanks guys. Thanks for coming back, Brandon. Uh, so you've listened to our show. You came on our show, and you came back. So what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> well, uh, we've always been good friends, Chris. But uh, I like the uh, I like your guys' atmosphere. It's pretty loose. Uh, you guys touch on some interesting things. You like the bedroom. I'm in. We're in my bedroom, the cat cave. Well, oh, God, since you've been here, a lot's changed. We went from co-workers to friends because you – we don't talk about where we work. But we don't work together anymore. And no. then, uh, you know how, like, you have work friends and that relationship when someone loses the, the job can change. And so you, you I was very about worried about losing yeah. all my work friends. And then, uh, luckily, that really hasn't happened. <laughs> I see you guys nearly weekly. And you said your new job is wearing you out a little bit? It's an adjustment. <laughs> uh, going from what I was doing to what I'm doing now, just. It, it's a big adjustment, but uh, I work with some pretty cool people who are patient with me. So, Oh, that's awesome, man. Uh, well, thanks for coming back. And you were very brave to come on our second episode. I think we recorded that like a week after our first one and <laughs> a lot of growing pains, but it came out really well. Uh, we could show you like the stats of it if you want. Of uh, Because you were on SoundHound, we don't have the full accurate number, so it's actually much higher. But like what states people download stuff? Like people... You had California, Utah, Virginia, Minnesota downloads. <laughs> I don't know who any of those people are. The Minnesota mm. might be my parents. That I'm was my sure, assumption. But, uh... So, hello, Fishwick family. Ah, <laughs> uh, man, it's great having you, though. For realsies, it's I like. I think I see you more now that we don't work together, and now we have to talk about things that aren't about our job because you don't work with me. We like talk about our mutual love of Adventure Time. Never thought I would get into Adventure Time. No, 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 me neither. I um, I sent you a selfie today of me wearing Finn's hat. I was at Newberry Comics. I chuckled. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, so would you agree with the statement that I've had in my head probably all week? Hollow Notes, best pop band ever? Mike shaking his head no. You know, they're a band that's really easy to make fun of, but again, those, those classic so singles good. are so good. Like, Really good. Like, real good. And when you, like, deconstruct it for what it is, and it's, like, past the irony of, like, oh, it's Hollow Notes, like, it's really catchy. Because I think they got inducted to the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame by someone, Fallon. So, like, I went on a little bit of a YouTube wormhole of watching, like, Hollow Notes songs. Dude, like, <laughs> you're a rich girl, don't need nothing. Well, what's that song? <laughs> what I want. You've got to You make my days go dreaming. You you break down those songs and oh my god, it, there's nothing amazing going on there like for like completely forward thinking, but it is just good pop from Nothing the back. substantive whatsoever. Oh. It just feels good in your soul. Uh Wake Me Up Before You Go Go is one of my personal That's wham. Uh, yeah, 80s. I know, but I'm just saying oh, it's one of my 80s wham. 80s pop favorites. I was about to no, hit no. the brakes. Wait, 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 wait. No, they no, did. No. <laughs> we actually brought. Remember, well, we have been trying to schedule this one for a while since the snowstorm days, and we were gonna do um, the five albums that transformed our lives. And then today we were like, uh, "Let's try that," but just we'll talk loosely. You can go back, you, not like strictly to it. Do you have like five albums? I remember what I wrote down. I can talk about a few albums that I know overall. You know, really Let's play Desert Island me. then. Like, what are your like the top five albums you'd say of your life of Ooh. your of your personal life? Ooh. 
I think there's also a difference, though. There's a, I think there's a difference between my top five favorite albums and albums. Put it this way. There are albums that have more replay value than my favorite albums. Does that make sense? If I'm on a desert island, I want something that has replay value. Not it might That all might not be my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So not top five. Um, what were the five that we all were talking about in the Facebook message? Just Five copies of the greatest hits. <laughs> That's I what I would bring. <laughs> the same copy. I know you. You would be. Uh, yeah, fuck. Um. Yeah. So one of one of the albums that yeah, you t- guys would know instantly based off of my Facebook feed and uh, my rantings in person is a uh, Daft Punk's Discovery. Where does that fall in the um, timeline of Daft Punk? Is it first, last? It was their second studio album and it came out in 2001 i think how long have they haven't been they've been together forever the very early 90s they've been making music together and i think they were friends for years before that and they're uh, just a couple of house djs that's what they started out as like Uh, um you you could really hear it on their first album uh homework which is also a fantastic album mm -hmm. you're talking but uh we're they were really just part of a very varied house and club scene in Europe at the time. and uh, But once they got past that album, you know, they started to get, you know, better budgets, more, you know, they already had creative control, but uh, I think they just really grew. I heard that they don't show their faces in public. They wear those helmets. It started as like them not being into the whole idea of celebrity and this and that. And so they decided to just wear the helmets in public at all times. Is that true? or That's what I heard, but I don't know. To be frank, I haven't really researched the whole helmet gimmick. I just take it at face value and like project my own listening experience onto it a little bit. Because uh... <laughs> people have seen their faces. I mean, obviously, they're just two French guys. Like... They're really ugly. I'm sorry. Oh, maybe that's on. maybe that's why. Come on. Well, maybe it's kind of like that um, thing of like when Kiss took off their makeup. You're, they're just not good looking middle aged dudes. Like I don't think I was really alive for like for Kiss Mania, but when I remember seeing Gene Simmons and all those guys, probably like flashbacks in MTV News. Well, I mean, think to a band like Kraftwerk from the seventies into the eighties that presented itself, you know, not with like any outlandish helmets, but they had some, you know a certain amount of makeup. Mm-hmm. They practice you know like a sort of uh routine that how they would present themselves on stage it was supposed to be very robotic and now you've got a band that or you know at least a duo that comes out with some of the most you know lush and you know energetic dance music you've ever heard in your life and instead of like being these serious cold robots they're just kind of colorful even kind of stylish cool robots I, that reminds me of what you were talking about of like David Bowie almost, even though Bowie was pre-Craftwork for the most part, right? Or because Bowie was early seventies, but he when he was in his like prime, right? Craft- I don't I don't know for sure, but I'm, what you were saying about like the different appearance, Bowie reminds me of that. I guess I'm a big David Bowie fan. I'm not <laughs> sorry. I, I didn't like, like Bowie until like three years ago, and then I dove into all of his well, 70s albums. Actually, and, let me ask you a question, because we, when we did work together, when we first met, you kind of presented as kind of a quiet person. But if you got off on a topic about music, I wouldn't... One of the reasons I wanted to have you on to talk about music is, when you get going on a music thing, like, you don't like music, you just like... You, 
All right, example. We were playing trivia one time, and a chord of a Mariah Carey song was out. We were doing like the game. Where you to oh, the okay, yeah, I remember that. All right, so and all of a sudden, it's like I don't know what song it was, and a Mariah Carey song came on. You jotted it down and came over and started going off on a long tangent about how you celebrate her entire career because you've listened to every Mariah Carey song. So like, you don't just like. You have passion for music. Like I feel like I've lost my passion for music, but I'm finding it again. And I, 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 I love that about you. And I want to capture that here. So for a few years, um, Christ Almighty, was I like in, to, you know, almost a regrettable <laughs> stage introspective. Um, like my college years, you know, I got out and have a few friends and stories and had some good times. But first, I listened to a lot of things that I thought I'd like or knew I would like based off its reputation. But then I started giving every artist um, the benefit of the doubt and uh, at least one thorough listen. That's when you tend to find bands you like, giving giving them like a second chance. You know. So here we are sitting in a trivia group, and uh, you have to name the song after the first few seconds plays, and there's just the few little twinkles at the beginning of fantasy and i just <laughs> grabbed the pen and jot it down but then, but well maybe maybe we can each like pick an album or two that we really like and just talk about it and how but more importantly like w- how it fits into your life why it's significant why yeah. it was significant to you then and now yeah like that rather than trying to list list off the entire like thing and, yeah and um how you found i like what you just said about how you found music I want me to start off, like, because you had your story. When, when you want to continue on, no, that? go right. ahead. I mean, there's, I mean, right, there's so little give, details. We but... should all go on our like a little how we. I... So I'm 29. I was born in '84. To give everyone context, I graduated high school in 2002, and up until see, I'm not good at years. Maybe this is like probably everyone of our generation, but I could tell you what the grade I was in better than what year that was, so you guys can figure out the math. So I was really first CD I ever purchased would be Weird Al's Bad Hair Day. And the Space Jam soundtrack, and no doubt it's Tragic <laughs> Kingdom. But I was super into the Puff Daddy, and I was really into Weird Al. When I was real young, it was like album and the Chipmunk stuff, and then I was really into Weird Al. And then when I got to a middle school, I got really into hip hop. But I was also part of a Columbia House CD club. Do you remember those? No. There's a rip off. It's like you get 12 CDs for a dollar. Then, but so at that time, I'm really into hip hop. So I'm probably sixth, seventh, eighth grade, seventh grade. Around eighth grade, I accidentally get sent a copy of Blink 182's Dude Ranch. And uh, so I went from like, and then my brother went to college and I got really like into rock and roll and stuff. So I like started listening to classic rock. I got raised on folk music and the Beatles. And so that was all fun. Like, then that, that, that Blink 182 album I found years later. But when I got to high school, I got really into punk rock, hardcore, and like ska. Yeah. Well, with classic rock, my, uh, you know, my parents grew up with that stuff that was a mainstay in terms of what we were listening to in the car at home and i always liked it but then it it got to a point you know a little bit after i graduated high school where i kind of snapped i was like i can't keep hearing the same five led zeppelin songs and call you know and uh so i i I made a decision not to completely eschew Led Zeppelin or, you know, all these bands, but I wouldn't go out of my way to listen to these guys and I wouldn't listen to the radio. And now years later, I could actually go to Led Zeppelin. I listen to it with fresh ears and I, mm-hmm. you know, fucking love them just like my dad does. Some of the... Yeah, I know the feeling whatever you grow up with sometimes that's kind of where you start from is what you hear in the house. 
like my dad my dad's 65 so he was always playing like he grew up with like in the 50s and the 60s so that's what was in the house I but now like a few years ago i would you know i'd hear led zeppelin blasting a few years ago more like you know like seven or eight now but uh I'd hear Led Zeppelin blasting, and I'd be like, oh, God, not again. And now I hear Led Zeppelin blasting, and me and my dad are debating which one's their best album. I'm a physical graffiti guy, but... uh... (laughs) See, that's the thing, is, like, Led Zeppelin is my favorite band. However, and and it's the only tattoo that I have is Led Zeppelin-related, but even I can only listen to so much Led Zeppelin. Like, and you name any band, like, any of my favorite bands, there'll be months at a time where I won't listen to them just because... I don't want to get sick and tired of them. Oh yeah, I mean, any any band you can get sick of, you know. But it's interesting you talk about physical graffiti too because I uh, I I actually like am not a like I I like the album. It, <laughs> your, I had, your face right now. Is, I had no very upset. I, this this is an album that I listened to initially with Led Zeppelin and I hated it. I was like, "What the fuck is this? Yeah, this is a double album." In the light this is jumps the from track, like right? weird keyboard-driven funk into like orchestral epics, and, and I'm like, this... "It was well, it's definitely experimental. They weren't trying to hide that." But that's think. the charm. Like now, I listen to it. Like physical graffiti is like the white album to me, um, and I don't even really like the white album. But uh, <laughs> um, so subversive. But uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, like you the, could you could say that you don't like the white album. Like I didn't know we could do that. I, I don't like the white album. I don't know if I ever even listened to it. I don't think Let, the FCC lets you say that on the air. Actually, fuck the Beatles. I'm just kidding. I think they're great. Get off your chest. That's, I don't like the white album. <laughs> that's gonna be the opening to the episode. Is fuck the Beatles, but He's you saying it. Not like no, the white album. Not fuck the Beatles. Just uh, the white album. No, let's, the Beach Boys over the Beatles, right? Fuck no. Wait, no. Hall no. notes over the Beatles. All right, let's stay on track here. All right. No, I want to get to the Beach Boys versus the Beatles versus the Rolling Stones, actually, next. So as a Led Zeppelin fan, I find, like, okay, so, like, 10 Years Gone is on there, right? Yep. Cashmere. Yep. Like, some of those songs are, like, the first songs I fell in love with. So, like, actually, the first song was Cashmere. But then when you're looking for that one album you can listen to front to back in the car and you appreciate the album, I don't know what it is. I just think Physical Graffiti throws everything into the pot and it does it well. Um, It definitely requires some endurance. Like it's an experience like the White Album or any good double album like The Wall or what have you. I do like Physical Graffiti all in all. I just – it's not – I would say it's in my top five probably but – it's the same way that a lot of Led Zeppelin fans don't immediately pick Coda or uh, In Through the Outdoor, um, but I do know people. <laughs> I do know people who really like some songs on those albums, like Bonzo's Mantra. Oh, I think is a fantastic song. Um, uh, well, I'm, there's there's a, there's a handful of them on there. I guess f- Physical Graffiti. You just have these songs that you never hear on the radio, and I mean, you know, the entire. Led Zeppelin discography, you know, up through 1974, 1975 deserves radio play. But um, you don't hear songs like In the Light. In the Light. Um, oh my gosh. Uh, Midnight Flight. Is that the one? Yeah, Wonton Song. Yeah, I hear Wonton Song once in a while, but uh, oh my god, the first song, Custard Pie. Oh my, that oh, just yeah. blows down the door. In My it, Time it, of Dying. In My Time of Dying is a phenomenal song. All right, so 
You probably haven't heard my voice because I don't really know a ton about Zeppelin. As someone like me who knows like Stairway and Whole Lot of Love, what else should I listen to? Like if I were to start off on a Zeppelin past Stairway and Whole Lot of Love. So it sounds like you've listened to some of the rockers already. You know, just lay it on this thick, you know. I would even suggest trying to go for the, some of the folky stuff on Led Zeppelin 3. Get a different flavor. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. I would almost, I was, my vote would have been begin at the beginning with Led Zeppelin self-titled only because they do have some of the really well-known rockin' songs like Good Times, Bad Times, Days to Confused, uh, Old Blue Standards, How Many More Times and stuff like that. But there's some folky stuff on there. That's like, my Babe, dad's I'm gonna, favorite album. I'm going to leave you. It's such a great album. It's so solid through like front to back. That's one of those front to back albums for me. Led Zeppelin one. I can just put it on and just let it roll all like all afternoon. Do you guys like um, the stuff Robert Plant did with Alison Krauss? Uh, are we talking about the box of whatever box of toys or whatever it is? The folky duet stuff they did. I thought it was all right. Are you guys folk fans? I'm into some folk. Yeah. My dad, slash future guest Bill Revel, actually has a folk radio show on WESU in Wesleyan, Connecticut, Middletown, and uh, at Wesleyan University, Middletown, Connecticut. I believe you could find it by the TuneIn app. So he, my dad raised me on like true, like I guess like real folk. I grew up going to like Clearwater Folk Festival and um, Old Songs Folk Festival, Newport Folk Festival and stuff. But like so, I think he really dug the Alison Krauss stuff. So I knew Alison Krauss better than I knew um, God. What's his name from Led Zeppelin guy? Robert Plant. Can we edit the shit out of that part for what Chris knew about his name? <laughs> I don't care. Um, man, so that's a, that's man. Because you guys both like the classic rock. But you like really. It's weird because I feel like you and I are, we listened to our parents' music, ran away from it, and then came back. But Mike, your experience was like you heard your dad's stuff and you never grew past that. Not grew, but you love classic rock like like a six year old dude at a bar does. Yeah, it's. Uh, I owe that to my dad because, like I said, growing up he had, I mean, you name it: Pink Floyd, Bob Seger. Um, I remember I was I couldn't have been but like eight or nine. Um, he introduced me to Cream um, and Eric Clapton and um, stuff like that. Um, so that's like the only music I knew growing up. And even now that I'm older and I have an even better appreciation for good music, I've come back to I, I never left it because it always appears in like when you're looking for good music, it always shows up because that was, in my opinion. And of course, it's pretty, you know, limiting to say that one decade could have had could have the best music. But I think like. This, I would say the '60s was probably the best decade in the in the uh, 20th century, uh, musically in terms of like music changing and stuff like that. I I still believe that. I mean, the '70s was incredible, and the Led, and Led Zeppelin was at their in their height uh, at the top of their game in the '70s. But for my money, it's the '60s. Go ahead, Chris. Well, um, one thing I find extremely oh, I found interesting about that time period is that we wouldn't have all these bands that we consider classic rock if you like. I kind of gone for. I used to love VH1's Behind the Music, and I read some a lot of books about uh, that era of music business. But all of those people, it wasn't as much as it is talent. Obviously, like the Rolling Stones and Bruce Springsteen, that was all uh, related to like just like fucking greedy ass music business awfulness and uh, payola, where like DJs were being played to. If you were like an artist, got on a big label, you would get they would pay money 
to play like and uh, it was in Cleveland. They would like they pay the DJs to play the, the Rolling Stones, to play the Beatles, to play Led Zeppelin. I just ah, oh, that's great. I mean, some of the music obviously is incredible, and no discredit to the music, but the music industry as a whole is just transformed so much from that time. Well, you sort of you pose a great sort of retrospective study you could do right on alternative on alternative history of music so yeah you're right up especially through the 80s not that there wasn't you know independent scenes or pretty creative and open accommodating record labels but it wasn't really until the late 80s where you had a strong indie scene (laughs) maybe maybe i'm wrong there in some ways but like through the 70s you were dominated by your access to so let's think about today we have mp3s we have the internet we have youtube mm-hmm. i can look up any song without listening to the radio that i right. want based off of what my friends are showing up on their little playlist on facebook on what they're sharing on what they're talking about what's tweeting you know who the fuck what right and um, also the not to mention the more obscure artists can now be found yeah the more obscure artists can now reach everybody on the same playing field here's my mp3s Here's a bunch of For indie free. music journalism. Yeah. Um, whereas our parents grew up, and this is something I've really come to terms with, because it's really easy to say, oh, my dad's a fogey or something like that with his music. But my dad grew up in an era where unless you had the money and an inclination, and I, as far as I'm aware, my parents did, uh, to go buy a random record <laughs> sit down, put it on the player, and listen to it front to back and say wow, this is a really great album, and this isn't on the radio, you know? Like, it was an investment of time and money like you wouldn't believe mm-hmm. to get into music like we take for granted today. That's a really good point. Oh, God, thank you for this, Brandon. I love talking about this. It's just amazing how all that has changed, like, even just from my time. And I, I grew up in that era of, like, CD. I went from tapes to CDs. And my parents could be like, my day, but they were right. I mean, you had the radio and like whatever else. And I grew up with cassette tapes. Um, Video killed the radio star. Oh, yeah. Yo, MTV. Yeah. What's that? The 80s? 80, 84? Is 84 the birth of MTV? I want to say yes. I don't even like thinking about MTV anymore. Well, hold on. It's turned into. Yes, but... what it turned into. But you cannot deny that that changed the whole face of the music industry. Yeah, it did. And the one of the greatest. There's actually a really good book out. I think it's called The Oral History of the Golden Age. Of, uh, I probably have the title wrong, but it's about the golden age of MTV, uh, like in the first early 80s, 90s. But a lot of stuff with MTV, too, was like bands like Duran Duran were getting huge, not because they were a better band, but bands in England were making videos and it wasn't a thing in America. So the British New Wave was an actual result of of that. MTV was out. They had 24 hours to fill and at that time they were doing music videos. So that's when the British New Wave came in. Like I love music history. It's, I've even read a book called And You Don't Stop 30 Years of Hip Hop. I mean like hip hop. It's so fascinating. I think music videos are kind of a lost art now. I think people don't really give a shit about them anymore. I disagree. Except for youth, because that's because the people who tend to only have access to the TV and not the internet is kids, by and large. I mean, how old were you when you were watching most of those music videos? A teenager, right? Like a kid. 14, 15, 16, 17, whatever. Oh, man. Well, I guess you're right. I think the art of a video now is kind of like, what does it mean? We take it for granted, just like we yeah. do our MP3s. Remember, you had to have, you had to have enough... Um, 
push to show up on one of the major or even less major video cable channels TRL? to have a video. Not just TRL, but even like some of the early right. like alternative so, MTV the stations. Big, the... And now, now you can make your own video, throw it up on YouTube, everybody can access it, and that's a good thing too. But uh, we just take videos for granted. But that doesn't mean it's easier for a band now, because now there's more bands who are more successful, but all making a lot less money. And before, you had less bands, and all of them taking all of the pie. And so there's the up and down. But like what you're talking about, the I agree, the maybe videos don't mean anything. Uh, my cousin uh, married... They're easy, is what I'm yeah. saying. Is like We have the technology now where if we wanted to, we could turn this little podcast in your bedroom into a music video. Let's do it. Throw it up there. And with considerably not expensive equipment, you can make it look like a good quality product. And one person will see it. And Mike, you, Christ, if I sat in front of the equipment long enough, me can figure it out and put up a fucking music video, which is great but well i guess yeah maybe you, need uh, to, you, you I think... used to have a whole studio and team of people with the equipment big bulky huge sets you don't, you don't even well, need that anymore i was just gonna say that you were right when you talked about the labels because i don't know if it was what the the four big ones there was like capital emi whatever and there was like um there was like a handful of really really huge record labels and See, you're right yes. if you didn't want to if you were an exec at the top and you said, no, this doesn't fit into the image of what we, we want our label to be or we don't think this is going to make us money, you could just uh, say, no, you're not going to be on our label. And then you'd be forced to go indie and get no play. So now, now it's the, the opposite way around. Plenty of the uh, you know legendary bands we know now actually have very interesting tales about their tangos with uh... – certain record labels and you know they threw it they threw it around there you know when Sorry. you're a successful artist you suddenly have a level of independence even at that time within these huge record labels to say no you're not getting a contract with me yeah i just released you know critically acclaimed massively popular all the kids love it rock album and now I'm definitely going to make this next album the way I want to. So. And how many of those artists that we love died poor? Mostly black artists. I mean, the Rolling Stones literally openly admit to just ripping off Muddy Waters. <laughs> the name Rolling Stone is from a... You should watch Motown Records, the story of Muddy Waters. Just incredible movie. And the Rolling Stones named themselves after Muddy Waters. Who I think he... I, I could be wrong, but I think he died penniless. But what is... I have, I'm going to say something to you right now, Brandon. I'm going to give this microphone back to Mike. Okay. Two words. Phil Spector. Go. Weird artists who had very debatable ways of getting his way, but... Um, he very possibly murdered somebody. <laughs> Probably murdered I somebody. I think there's tales of him pointing a crossbow at Leonard Cohen in the studio. It's not... He'd, he'd fire off his gun at the roof to intimidate his uh, session men, when, you know, See, uh, supposedly, but... Um, I think his – what are your thoughts on his wall of sound because – They're I, beautiful. Yeah, I don't know. It's like he would – that was kind of what he was known for was creating that sound in the music with a lot of the pop acts, making it sound more louder and up close and up front. Well, you have to think about the the quality of stereos people had back in the day. So you had to go like full, loud, layered, all-in-one, gigantic take mono – to communicate that stuff to uh, your listener in the way you wanted to. He retouched um, 
Abbey Road, didn't he? I think it was Let It Be that he was rec- he was producing. Oh, I think you're on. Right. oh producing. Yeah, that's right. Because and then what he did was he ended up make he ended up making some of his own choices during the process that pissed off band members. The one that stands out is adding some of the uh, strings to a. Uh, Long and winding road. Oh yeah, because I have um, "Let It Be" naked, which is a great. I'm sure. I know you're probably. No, I actually haven't listened to it. Are you serious? I've listened to "Let It Be." I haven't listened to "Let It Be" naked. Do you know what it is? Kinda is that like when they were in the studio? No, it's just it's just it's just "Let It Be," but stripped down like bare bones, so it kind of like was intended to be like oh. like all the songs are the same it's the same um recording sessions it's just they've stripped out all the extra crap and it's it's very um bare bones and it's fucking amazing i actually almost prefer it like by a pretty like big margin actually i'll have to listen to yeah, it i like that it be it's a, it's a it's a weird album but i like it <laughs> yeah well my mom is going to kill me for not knowing enough about the beatles right now <laughs> but i will say Phil Spector put out some killer singles in the 60s. I mean, in terms of, like, that guy could fucking make music. He knew how to make the hits, for sure, Phil Spector. Have you guys seen 20 Feet from Stardom? It's a documentary about backup singers. No, I haven't seen it. But uh, there's... I wish I could remember her name. She's... I think it's... I, I think if I have this correct. She is the woman who does the backing vocals on uh, that Rolling Stone song, Give Me Shelter. Like, that... They're just a shot away, that song. I know who you're talking yeah. about. Don't know well, name, she basically has a whole story of how she recorded her album with Phil Spector, and then he stole her music and gave it to another artist and took their album, put it under a different artist's name, and then put out that album as that artist, and they went around the country touring famous and lip-syncing because he's that kind of guy. <laughs> God bless him. Well, I like the song Chapel of Love by the Dixie Cups. That's, That's I, a great song. It's a good song. I have it on 45. Did you guys talk about the crossbow story? I had to step out for a sec. Yeah, I brought up how uh, supposedly, um, supposedly, uh, when Leonard Cohen had gotten him to produce his album, I think it might have been called Ladies Man or something. But um, during the process, Leonard Cohen's a very uh, involved in the entire creative process of his albums, even when he has other producers. So when he tried to, go, and then you think about Phil Spector, who is famously. Sing, single-handedly in control of every aspect of the project. Um, he did not react well. And uh, supposedly one day when Leonard Cohen tried to go back into like the control room and play with the knobs and the settings and uh, produce whatever that looks like, um, Phil Spector pulled out a crossbow at him, which is... You know what's strange? Like Having a gun pulled out on you is obviously very terrifying, but the fact that at some point in that day, Phil Spector had to preemptively think, I'm going to, A, say just pretend he owned a crossbow just because he's that kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to take a crossbow from his home, I assume they're in like New York or LA, and travel a distance, maybe he has a car service, maybe, I don't know, <laughs> whatever it is, he had to preemptively think, I'm going to bring a crossbow to work today, and when that, when that Leonard tries to fuck with me, I'm going to pull it out <laughs> The next fucking person who fucks with me is going to get a crossbow a gun, pointed at him. A gun is small, but a crossbow is not an easy thing to carry. It's like he really had to do some work to you get have, that thing. You have to load it. You know, it's kind it's, of a dramatic weapon. Yeah, yeah it's got a, a heavy draw. Like, 
he must have yeah he must have i wonder if he like had to draw it on his knee in front of leonard cohen with like the spear-tipped arrow and say hang on let me get it locked in here sighted in before i threaten you hold on i gotta gotta lock this up i think well crossbows aren't illegal if you have the uh I don't know oh, who she uh, was. Yeah, which is unfortunate, but I don't even know. I don't remember her name. The woman Phil Spector killed? Yeah, he shot her in the face. He killed her? Allegedly. I think there was a trial. I'm not going to pretend to know yeah, all the details. Convicted. Was he convicted? Yeah. I didn't I knew I didn't know if he was convicted and I knew I knew I'm sorry. Um Actually a very I Yeah, I think he was convicted. I meant sentenced. Was he sentenced? That's what I meant. Yeah, I think he was sentenced. He's in prison now. Oh, but when we were talking about videos, uh, I had to say one example. For but I think part of the new wave, uh, the new model for music is with the video stuff. Is like if you can like strike gold and make that viral video, can kind of make your band if you have the music to fall back on. Like my cousin married Aaron, who's now my cousin, who's in the band Red Thing, and they're they're older and they're like a metal band. But they got their popularity because their YouTube videos got like millions of hits, and they're funny. I think the one that got them famous is like they're LARPing. <laughs> look at <laughs> look them up on YouTube. Like they have really funny videos, and they're kind of known for their like their humor. Look look at uh, Gangnam Style, most hits ever. Oh God, I st- I'm proud to say I never watched that. I'm perfectly oh, oblivious. On. No, no, I would have. I just not even the first few seconds. Like huh, everybody's watching it. I don't Gangnam know what it, I didn't know what it was. I kind of missed it. Man, so what is um? Let me think. For a minute. I'm sorry, nobody missed Gangnam Style. I, I had to grab the mic from you because I don't know where I don't care where you're from or who you are. Everybody knows that song. It was drilled into my head for like how however. It's like long the Macarena. It the it's never gonna leave your brain. <laughs> yeah, but I I mean I I know of it like Gangnam Style, right? That's it. And then he had a song that was anti-American, so we didn't like him anymore. Even though wasn't he from Korea? But man, so what is? I'm thinking, like, past, like, 70s and 80s rock, you, like, um, I've been at your house, and you've put on, like, some weird German band that from the 70s that no one heard of that we later knew, and you? Any you. And that was one of my favorite albums I was going to talk about, actually. So, uh... <laughs> so weird. <laughs> so what is, where does your love of weird music come from, you think? Well, um, when you get introspective and you listen to music... <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> so if anyone can't hear, it's not a visual medium, but I made a sexual gesture at the microphone. So that I could sound funny. louder. But um, I started to move. I guess New was one of those few bands I listened to at the time that moved me away from it needs a beat, it needs a melody, and uh, you know it needs to fall back to the chorus and a breakdown and a solo. It has all those things. Um, it's just all kind of fucked up sometimes. Um. <laughs> well, I don't think it's even fair to label it weird, not that you meant that in a, a derogatory, like a bad way or anything. No, no, they're weird. <laughs> well, but I think them? there's just, but that's the thing is even the quote-unquote weirdest music, it's like saying people are weird. Like some yeah. people are weird. Like, But like, even some of the weirdest music out there, there are people who genuinely, truly love it, and it may not be weird. It may just be less main, less and less mainstream. There's something. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you hurt my feelings, Chris. Okay. Well, I'm serious. <laughs> like, even the shittiest bands out there that you might think, are, like the the bands that you might think are the shittiest, like what the fuck am I listening to? This is fucking garbage. There's someone somewhere guaranteed that fucking loves it. You know what I mean? 
I've I've been to my fair share of a oh a weird con. I've been to grindcore shows and I've listened to, I've seen the Locust live, or not the Lo- uh, Dillinger Escape Plan, but yeah, new was just I don't know. I've listen. I've listened to my fair share of noisecore in my in my youth, but but some music I think takes its pride in being like artsy, fartsy, to a different level. You're right. Weird might be the wrong word, and I didn't know that band very well. I just heard it, it was all just instrumentals. And would you say they recorded the guitars and then play them backward, like and then reverse? Like they, I, it's not I, a sampling, right? Like, um, or what are they called again? The band. The yeah. Um, they were a German band, new, uh, but it's spelled N-E-U, and then usually with an apostrophe at the end. But um, so they were a duo, uh, Klaus. And uh, they had actually been part of the early craft work, uh, like original project in the very early part of the 70s. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, they branched off and they did their own thing. And um, they're really... Would you say they're like progressive? Or oh, they're progressive either? in a way that like... It's actually... Uh, a movie I think about when I relate it to it is uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, it is so out there. Like, you had psychedelic rock at the time, right? Mm-hmm. But um, this takes it, – it distills all the, like, wonder and kind of, you know, wow, neat sounds, and it actually gives it space. It's, like, early ambient. It's very neat. Hmm. But it's also got, like, some funky and early electronic elements in it. Um, so it was ahead of its time. Very much so. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I've never heard of them. I, I've but, actually... uh, the song I played for you was uh, Hallow Gallo, which is the first song off the album. And uh, probably the most famous song, but they're doing all sorts of neat things. There. They have ambient, they have some of the earliest like industrial music on it. Um, they have these... You know, it's almost just uh, kind of silence moments, but then they have some like really kind of primordial rock, you know, like really heavy. That's awesome. Uh, and then I told you I was listening to a podcast and I heard someone reference Galaxy 500 and I thought of you. <laughs> no, I think that's actually, I thought that was a really, that's very beautiful. I think that's cool. Um, so you grew up in Milford, right? Or, well, do you think your time in England, like growing up in England, shaped your musical influences at all? Did you find music later? Because I don't think I found music till mi- like maybe middle school is when I really started to dive into it. In England, that was there was a lot of the similar hits across the ocean at the mm. time. Now that I actually know what was going on here and have a better idea what was going on in England, but as a little kid, yeah, uh, just turning into like a tween or something. Did you miss anything that might have happened here, or vice versa? That you like, um, what was that song? I mean, I was young in England, like really young, so. Nirvana was and grunge and stuff was. I miss grunge. I was a little bit, and I I came back and wow, like a lot of it had already passed its prime at that point, but it had a legacy that was. Nirvana Unplugged will still hold a special. Most Nirvana albums, but that Unplugged album will still hold a special place in my heart. So coming back and being like a foreigner, like what's Nirvana? Like yeah, it, it it was very. And you know, I don't even—I don't even think Nirvana was not popular in England at the time. But I was young enough where that's not something I was. Well, 
you could too. be the biggest band in the world and not be huge in the U.S. or a different country, so they might have their crowd in England. I just don't want to indirectly uh, you insult, know, insult their uh, cred and their actual popularity at the time because I'm unaware of what it was you, in England. I have, and I have a question. Uh, do you think that it's uh, possible to – like you're a Beatles fan, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, just to establish <laughs> – Yeah, they've got like 200-plus amazing rock songs yeah. under their belt. Um, some people say that some bands are overrated and some people say that some bands are, uh, underrated. Obviously though, that's everything in life. And me personally, I feel some people like, are there any artists that you consider to be underrated or overrated? And in addition to that, do you think there are any bands that are impossible to overrate? Because I think that the Beatles could possibly fall into that category for the same reason a lot of other bands could. I was curious. I think there's qualities of a band or like the accepted dogma and status among them that's up for debate and you can call overrated. Well, mostly I'm, a, I'm a, just a very personal guy with my music and I listen to some shit. You know, it's also a matter to, of to opinion though, so which is It's also, you know, it's all subjective, but right. I'm willing to talk I get more into – I'll tell you why I think this fails compared to like what I like when I'm listening for a certain mood or flavor. Um, but I'm not just going to – I don't usually get in conversations like, well, that's overrated, that's underrated because, you know, I – But you must have opinions. You must. I, mean, I do, and I'll tell you. So, yeah. for example, I was talking about specific elements of a uh, band's legacy – that I might find overrated. Mm-hmm. This is an entirely personal opinion, sure. but I'll make the argument. I think a lot of Beatles albums as albums, collection of songs, right. possible cohesion <laughs> flow are pretty <laughs> fucking awful. All right, like which ones? Because uh, I'm curious. I got We got to go into it now. The White Album. Uh, a lot of their... The only album I really, really love as an album is Revolver, and even then, that's kind of guilty of it. It just does it really well. For in in defense of the Beatles, of course, I I know exactly what you're saying. Though I guess um, a lot of the White Album was recorded separately; their parts were recorded separately. And I was also I've also read in more than one source that I guess they um, like all contributed some of their own songs and kind of mix mashed them. I don't know how purposeful it was, but. Yeah, it's like on Rubber Soul when um, what goes on in the middle of the album, it's like it's modern Beatles and then suddenly they're wearing their gray suits again. Like, do you know what I mean? It just feels out of place, out of order. They're, they're mostly great songs to me, Like I, but I would never, as a person who listens to you know playlists and individual songs and stuff and somebody who really loves the album experience when we're talking uh, yeah I'm never going to doubt the fact that it's important albums because I have great material to the fucking Beatles blah 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 but I won't I won't ever tell you I actually legitimately think most of our albums are actually really good front to back products and listening experiences I'm curious like about your and I know Chris, I mean, you. I don't want to like go off too long about the Beatles here, but a lot of the listeners, I'm sure, are Beatles fans. Like, what are your, what are like three that you're kind of are kind of like at the top for you, and three that are not so at the top? What? Albums? Beatles albums, yeah. LPs, though. We're not talking singles or EPs or anything. Okay, like that. so 
Revolver's number one. Uh, it's just got some of my favorite songs on there, and I actually think it's cut down in, to in a spite decent of length. The lack of cohesion. Yeah, even despite the lack of cohesion, because I can like an album that's incohesive. Um, like I just told you, physical graffiti. Uh, <laughs> but um, but there's something there. You get some of the you get some of the really first psychedelic songs from the Beatles mixed with like. Some sitar and stuff like that. You know, mixed, yeah, with some of the dreamy, you know, the dreamier side of things. And, uh, Tomorrow Never Knows. Tomorrow Never Knows. Oh my God. Just the, the drum beat in that song is bloody amazing, let alone all the, the swirl of noise around it. But, mm-hmm. uh, but then you have these really endearing pop songs like, uh, Got to Get You Into My Life, probably uh, a contender for one of my favorite Beatles songs. Uh, and Good Your Day, Bird Sunshine. Can Sing. Good day, sunshine. Uh, Beautiful. Those songs. are such good fucking songs. Those songs hold up, man, forever. You know, and I, I'll forget. I even <laughs> kind of like them, but most of the time I skip over Tax Man and Paperback Writer. Yeah, and is Octopus's Garden on there, or is that uh, uh, yeah, Yellow right. Submarine? It's Yellow Submarine. Yeah, yeah you, right. you know, throw that fucking thing out the door. <laughs> but um. I... <laughs> I, I liked the movie when I was a kid. I thought it was the actual Beatles' voices. Turns out it's not. But, but anyway. <laughs> who would record that thing? But, uh, <laughs> the blue meanies. <laughs> All right. So number. What about two and three? I think by default, number two on the strength of its. Actually, I think number two would be "Let It Be." Oddly enough, for my favorite album, That's the fair. songs aren't on there. Aren't gonna be as nearly as powerhouse as my third place or Abbey Road. But um, there's a nice subtlety to the uh, album and its flow. And you get some really neat songs on there. You got Let It Be, the title track, which is just powerhouse ballad. Um, Across the Universe, which has one of the most beautiful like, little windy melodies ever. But uh, it's just a very neat album. For my money, I've always had a hard time with this. I haven't given it a lot of thought. I think... And I'm I'm interested to see what your reaction is here. I don't I think can you can have a favorite album for personal reasons, and for that reason, I think Magical Mystery Tour is my favorite Beatles album. Um, That's actually I I I even kind of like that one a little bit too. Yeah, I, you know, the first time I heard it, I wasn't a huge fan, but upon repeated playbacks, um, some of those songs um, like Blue Jay Way, Flying. Um, your mother should know something about them is just i guess maybe it was the time i was listening to them or whatever but um really stuck with me um i think um i'm going to have to put please please me at second place it's their first lp and i just love the sound on that album i love the newness of it i love how quickly it was recorded and like the rawness of it and you can just hear how youthful they are and how young they are and how, like, I don't know, energetic they are in that album. And I really like that. I have to point this one out for my father, but I know. What what, what album is it where the Beatles met Bob Dylan and they got introduced to LSD? Uh, pre-Rubber, Pre-Rubber Soul, right? It was Pre-Rubber Soul, and then that's why Rubber Soul got suddenly got kind of weird. Yeah, I think so. That's what, as far as I know. It was pre pre rubber soul, and then he introduced him to pot, and yeah, I think my friend Rob was just there at uh, wherever the name of the place is where he was shot in front of, and also in New York um, and Strawberry Fields. He was just there like a few days ago, actually. 
Um, John Lennon, this is something actually I want to, I think, I don't know who I brought this up with recently, but John Lennon is like kind of, well, he was kind of a prick and he's kind of on record, I guess, as being like kind of an arrogant asshole. And like a lot of people, like, don't get me wrong. He was, he was a genius for sure. Like there's no way that man, that man was on another level, but like he was kind of a fucking asshole and people don't talk about that because he's John Lennon. But that, I mean, that's a lot of celebrities, but I just, I find that interesting. Like, I don't care, but I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, no, I, yeah, I don't really care. <laughs> I, I, mean, I don't either, but like, it's something I was thinking about. Well, let's kind of bring this around from the Beatles. Did you guys see the performance with their surviving members in Nirvana with Paul McCartney? <laughs> it sucked. Sounds awful. It was, was one thing I love. I think this is true with film. Just because, like, with a band, there really is a magic in the formulas of the members. Like, maybe everyone knows the singer, but you don't know what the bass player brings to it. You took Paul McCartney from the fucking Beatles, Dave Grohl, Chris Novoselli of Nirvana, Pat Smear, formerly of the Germs, who played with Nirvana, and they got together and they wrote a shitty song. <laughs> you know, I mean, in, on paper, they should like that should be a good song, right? It should be. No. No, I mean, like, those four musicians are all talented, each in their own right, and can have written some of the most memorable songs. Maybe not as much Pat Smear, but, like, it fucking sucked. You know, I like beer, I like cheese, I like chicken, right, and I like right. nacho chips, but I don't mix them all together. Hold on, you don't put cheese and nacho chips together? <laughs> you gotcha. got me there, but I don't so, drown it in beer. And... This is uh, what we call gotcha journalism, and we got you here just to admit that fact. <laughs> Sucker! Damn you! I have to remember to mention the pizza underground later, but um, yeah. Oh yeah, I saw your post. Yeah. What is that? Um, I'll keep a long story short. Uh, Macaulay called. No, <laughs> we are trying to make content. Keep talking. <laughs> I have nothing to contribute. All right. So in the '60s, Andy Warhol, the artist, put out a video of himself eating a cheeseburger and drinking soda just four and a half minute video of him sitting and eating staring at the camera and at the end he said i'm andy warhol and i just ate a cheeseburger it was supposed to be avant-garde and and whatever so macaulay culkin like i think like about a year ago or something put out a video just as a parody of himself eating a piece of pizza and at the end he said the same thing and i guess one of his acquaintances or something said hey you know what would be cool is if we started a Velvet Underground cover band called the Pizza Underground that played Velvet Underground songs but changed the lyrics to be about eating pizza. And Macaulay Culkin said, sure. And they actually formed a band called the Pizza Underground. It's a five-piece Velvet Underground cover band that changes their lyrics to be about pizza and literally... Like some of the songs are exactly the same, except that they would take out one word and substitute the word cheese, or like it's such a pizza day instead of it's such a perfect day, and it was like absurd, but it was it was pretty fun. Like they handed out free pizza to the crowd, they told jokes, like and for the record, Macaulay Culkin played um, the shaker, uh, like one of those wooden shakers with beads on it, and he also played a kazoo uh, and sang back up. It was an experience. This sounds like some comedy troupe that would perform at a bar mitzvah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's what was my initial thought. It's so gimmicky, but it was it was pretty damn entertaining, I must say. It, um, 
Plus, now forever, forevermore, if someone mentions the movie Home Alone or Macaulay Culkin, I've got a story. If nothing else, did they bill it as Macaulay Culkin's Pizza Underground? No, apparently he was very ambivalent about like them being famous. They knew he was gonna. They knew that they would be more famous because he was in the band. I know that I only left my house and paid a twelve dollar cover to see Macaulay Culkin basically in person. But I also love live music, so I figured one plus the other. All right, fine, that's worth twelve bucks because they were opening bands too, you know, and they were local and they were good. But um, yeah, he he didn't want to be the band to be successful, just so he they kind of like are all equals on stage, and he really tries to, I guess, enforce that. I don't know. That's weird. <laughs> oh my god! Did anyone scream out any asshole Home Alone things? No, I really wanted to. I put online. I really wanted to scream. Uh, keep the change of filthy animal and. Um, I decided not, I was never seriously considering it, but I, in my head, the idea was funny that or asking him if he still knows Joe Pesci or to do the pose with like the face, like when he's putting the aftershave on, I'd never, I'd never do that. But if we lived in an alternate reality, I would. I'm sure he hates that. He actually, I loved you and Richie Rich. Oh, yeah, that's a good movie. <laughs> he, um, that poor kid though, he got really fucked over. Well, that's what I'm saying. I, I wanted to go up to him and, and thank him for a movie that was really obscure. Like, you know, well, the I Uncle Buck wasn't obscure, but... I think celebrities really love... The Good Son Changed My Life. Apparently, I know a guy... At the co- <laughs> well, I know a guy... I don't know him personally, but I see him around at the coffee exchange, and I heard him talking to a customer once, and he was saying that um, Danny DeVito uh, came into a coffee exchange once, and he was, like, super friendly. And he was talking to Danny DeVito, and I guess the barista's favorite movie with Danny DeVito in it was Death to Smoochie. And uh, was he in that movie? I believe he was, yeah. That it was Death to Smoochie. And he told Danny DeVito, he's like, that's my favorite movie of yours. He's like, really? That that movie is like of all my movies? And he was like, yeah, that movie makes me laugh nonstop every time. And apparently Danny DeVito was like super pleased because it was just, you know, kind of a shitty movie that didn't get a lot of attention. So I don't know, whatever. Celebrities are used to praise, so why not, why not give them something they don't hear every fucking day, you know? Was he drunk? <laughs> No, this was like the daytime at a coffee shop, but maybe he was drunk. No, it, remember he went to the he went on the View drunk. Danny DeVito did. Yeah, it was like a thing. Maybe he was in character as Frank from Always Sunny, which is one of the funniest fucking shows in existence, and it's all on Netflix. So, well, speaking of Macaulay Culkin, <laughs> <laughs> they are, I don't know. I've never had to use and that. pizza. And pizza. I've never used that. That's um. What are your experience with this? Um, well, we did kind of a little bit discuss recorded music, but let's talk live music. Did that see for me? Live music transformed my life more than anything. I'm usually not... wait, wait. You hate concerts? I'll yeah. That's okay. I, I mostly hate concerts. I'm very selfish with my listening experience. I hate having to deal with. Um... I always imagine like the perfect concert experience. It just never turns out that way. You realize you're sharing the space with other imperfect human beings, and uh, they're all trying to get their own thing out of it. And just like in a social situation, you have to compromise left and right. But is well, not to argue because I don't want to. The, the reason that you didn't like concerts is the reason I loved concerts as much as that community aspect. Um, I got. I grew up. I think pretty fortunate, like in uh, Connecticut. We had a really, really good punk scene. So a lot of concerts I really started off going to outside of like theater stuff was like basements, uh, VFW halls, Knights of Columbus's, Disabled American Veteran halls. 
like hall shows were like my life. There was no stage, the band, and there was I think probably a lot. I think that this is like what I learned from like my going to folk concerts with my dad is that there's generally no separation from artist and fan. So like I would go to like the Clearwater Folk Festival as a kid, and Pete Seeger would be behind us waiting to eat a piece from the Solar Cake Baker, and I would, my dad would make me get his autograph. I met Pete Seeger so many times. Like to the point, like I didn't even understand it was important until he died. Like I was like, oh, and but in the punk rock community, it was the same thing. Like um, I haven't announced it officially, but my all-time favorite band is Folly, uh, and I got to see them in the punk scene, book them one time, and form like a friendship with them. And Jeff, the guitarist, is actually doing our theme music. We're just waiting for him to email to me, but like. For me, like going to moving on up, moving on up, like that's where some of my friends I still have to this day are from the music community and going to those live concerts. And it's not man, I saw Prince, and it was the best concert I've ever saw in my entire life. Yeah, I'm well, I'm not a Prince openly. Well, not it's a thing to be open or closed about. I'm not, I'm not a Prince fan, but not for any particular reason. I just I wasn't, and then I saw him in concert and became one. And that I I will die for you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm leaving that in. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I get what you're saying. Like I've seen a few concerts that were really fantastic. Both the the way you both described them. Like when I went and saw Bob Dylan, I was zoned in on Bob Dylan, even though his voice was a ragged piece of shit. Like, and he needs to put it, put the hat down. Yeah, was he tooting away on his keyboard? He needed to put the hat down years ago. Personally, I mean, I respect the man. I love the man, and he's one of my favorites. But it's time to put the mic down. Anyway, um. So I was, like, zoned in during that concert. I was aware of the other people, but then there were other concerts where I was super into it with the crowd, um, like at Van Halen. And I know a lot of people who don't like Van Halen, but that's okay. Like, that was soon after I listened to Led Zeppelin, Van Halen became one of my favorite bands. And they came to the Dunkin' Donuts Center in 2008 when David Lee Roth joined them again. And, yeah, it's cock rock. The lyrics are empty. Not completely empty. Um we're but, talking about Van Halen? Yeah. But it's Oh, their first album is amazing. It's it's <laughs> it's catchy, accessible. Punk. Such yeah, uh, you know, so no, seeing them live off. was I mean, I can't even begin to describe and I was only 17 at the time. So I'm a 17-year-old kid. This is my first concert ever. Ever. And it was a packed packed stadium to see Van Halen. I mean, that I'll never ever forget that. It was that fucking intense because they played Jump at the end and there was like confetti. It was just one of those moments, you know, that you'll never forget. I I actually was always kind of someone who didn't like the big concerts as much, um, man. But I, I think I'm lucky. I My parents took me to see Jerry Lee Lewis when I was a little kid. Like Great Balls of Fire Jerry Lee Lewis. And that time where he wasn't <laughs> yeah, showing up okay. to shows. Um, man, I saw so many great artists as a real young kid. And, like, and my mom and my dad just have such a love of live music. There's bands who... Have you been to any concerts? You must have. Oh, yeah. I've been to concerts. Um, Well, what's one of your favorite experience concert-wise? It was both one of the worst in terms of how it panned out. In fact, I think I left what was probably halfway through the set because it just was too much for me. But for what I could endure, um, I went to see the Jesus Lizard when they came to Boston (laughs) because I love the Jesus Lizard. Their albums are bloody amazing. They're you know, they're really hard and the pummeling. It's kind of that weird uh, kind of rock and punk. Would you say like Melvin's? Because I'm not super familiar yeah, with the Yeah, kind of like Lizard. Melvin's. Um, 
a little sharper, slightly more cerebral side, I'd say. But um, and oh my god, this was just—I should have known better. I knew who the Jesus Lizard was, but I was like, I'm gonna see the Jesus Lizard, you know, Boilermaker and stuff like that. And um, it was intense. It people mosh the guys jumping out and surfing people are shoulder to shoulder back to head you know like (laughs) and i i couldn't i couldn't take it after about 40 minutes in fact me and my i'm not sure if my friend could take it anymore he might have but i was like i have to get out of here this is just i love this band but this is too much for me the thing is like that's the thing about shows is like i totally get what you were saying about like you're right. So I don't like experiences like that. Like I love metal too. I love a lot of good metal, a lot of like punk. There's even like some speed and death metal that I like. Not a lot, but there's some. I would say more speed metal, like early Metallica and um, stuff like that, and um, Slayer and stuff. Um, but I would be ambivalent about going to those shows because people do get violent. I have friends who have gotten um, cheekbones broken, jaws broken, noses broken, concussions. Um, like I'm fucking serious. Like deep deep bruises from like mosh pits and spit on blood on them piss it on took them like five six minutes yeah. to fight my way out of the the venue and i was like trying to be all polite but uh i was really you know like please move they like elbow me and then i'd shove yeah. them and wiggle through to the next you know encounter like i was traveling through pokemon territory but i was just <laughs> i used to be one of those people believe it or not like with the mosh pit, that's what I love to do. Is the mosh pits are my favorite thing in the world. You're fucked. The, yeah, I know. But the best experience of like my youth would be like seeing like my favorite local or big the band that I felt I would fall in love with. Like probably I, those seeing like Folly and in this small hall, which was like 190 degrees, it felt like, and we're all pouring sweat and they're singing your favorite song, and I'd be like. I'd be on top of someone's shoulders, and I'd be on top of me, and people are jumping on top of that, and John just put the mic into the crowd, and we're like just singing along, and oh, it was the best, but yeah, I've gotten some pretty bad injuries. I have a scar right here above my eye from uh, being kicked in the face. My fault. The gentleman stage-dived, and I had plenty of warning, but I turned away, and his boot caught my face. <laughs> I, have you ever stage-dived? Like, oh, dude, it's a weird experience. One time, the last time I tried to stage-dive... It was at a melt, but it was a Folly Melt Banana concert in Danbury, Connecticut, and um, it was a really high stage, and I missed the crowd. <laughs> I kind of went over everybody, and no one caught me. Yep, <laughs> man. The live for me, man. I loved the listening. Oh God! One time, me and my friends were younger, like so out of high school, maybe oh three, oh four. The Get Up Kids were breaking up, and we none of us knew how to process this experience. So instead of going to see them in like Worcester or like New Jersey, we decided we were going to go up to New Toronto for four days so we can go to their last concert. One of the best experiences of my entire life. Oh, it was awesome, and I got to go to Toronto. If you've never been, it's fucking awesome. If you got a chance, yeah, I've been meaning to uh, visit. Really cool Canada. city. I don't think I've ever been. <laughs> it's nice, but man, oh man, I love the live experience of music. I used to really like reading stuff about music industry. Well, how do you? So I want to see a movie called Downloaded. I haven't watched it. It's actually from I think the guy from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. That's not Keanu Reeves. Made it. It's probably produced it. I don't know his name. I haven't heard this movie. It's a documentary about Napster and how the oh. the, the music industry could have reacted appropriately and it didn't and then kind of fell in on itself because you're kind of left to like what i think two or three of the big labels now it's like warner brothers and universal like own everything i don't know I mean, do you remember the days of 
like Geffen, <laughs> CBS, like there was, but there was an attachment to record labels back in the day. I was obsessed with like Victory Records. That was like, yeah, I was like way into, huh? Uh, Taking Back Sunday, a lot of hardcore stuff. Streetlight Manifesto, more recently. I liked. Uh, I'm on the spot and I can't remember. Um, they did a really, sh- but they're actually a really horrible label. So fuck them. Yeah, I remember traveling like a lot. Well, I got to I see, I see I saw Folly a lot, but I mean I got to go see them at the CBGBs and like sing on stage, and that was one of those like, before it closed, one of the best experiences in my entire life. But I've seen Prince, I've seen Billy Joel, it's a big one. That was a lot of fun. But what do you have? You ever like gotten to meet a musician or an artist that you really like, and their persona, their personality is so different? Off, oh, like no. Alice Cooper. I've never, no, I've never. Do you think it ruins it for you? I've never, I've just never had the opportunity to mingle with Not anyone that big, but even like a local band. Um, no, I don't think I have. Oh, some people think it ruins the experience. I'm someone likes the curtain be pulled behind. I want to see every little, I like to see the inner workings. Uh, I actually have, uh, I do know some of the musicians, uh, from Providence, um, in local bands, um, my friend Alicia used to take me around um, years ago when I worked at Borders. Um, she's the one who introduced me to all of the uh, local venues in Providence, like the 121, um, AS220, um, Lupo's, and um, you know the Met in Pawtucket and ve- little venues like that, and um, some great local bands like Voodoo Sister, which is fronted by Keith McCurdy. Um, Joe Fletcher and the Wrong Reasons, and both of those people I just mentioned were at the Newport Folk Festival last summer. Um, I see them probably. I don't like. I don't know them personally. Like they know my name. I know theirs. Um, but we're just acquaintances. But it's weird because Joe Fletcher has a couple albums. He's been in Rolling Stone, but I just know him casually through Alicia. So when people come from other states and pay good money to watch him sing and play, but when you meet him in person, he's just like a dude. Like he's a nice dude, and I, but like I like that. He's Joe Fletcher's like a really nice, normal guy, and like he's the type of guy you expect to play the type of music he plays. And like, like you said, there are some musicians with an image, but um, for my, like the musicians I've met, it's actually very. I think celebrities might be different, but maybe not. I don't know. The musicians I've met though are just very. They're just like you and me. They're just people making music. Do you think it ruins it for you when you meet like Alice Cooper or Marilyn Manson something like that off stage and they're just calm and hello, it's very nice to meet you, and they're on stage doing like beautiful people ah, and like rubbing like cocks all over their face or whatever the hell they do? I don't know. I never saw Marilyn Manson. I I like that stuff. I I'm not really concerned with it at all. You don't like go as far to like read the books or watch the documentaries and like find no. the reasons. I don't... I, I'm interested in the creative process. Mm-hmm. I guess, you know, that's inevitably intertwined with the personalities and stuff well, like that. Sometimes, like, a backstory for me can make an album, or for most people, like, more, but for more anything, like, it gives it more reason. Like, some of the stories, I'm sure that Letter Code album, where he gets the crossbow pulled out on him, <laughs> it, it can add a certain something. But I think this is interesting, because the thing I love about music is that everyone has a, you have your own relationship with it, and maybe someone who's more interperson, like, inverted would have a more inverted experience, and I guess I would call myself, like, an extrovert, so for my experience in music was very extroverted. Yeah, it could be pretty selfish. Uh... I don't think that's selfish. 
with my music and turn but I I have a certain reason or mood feeling for a lot of the music I go to and I love to be surprised but uh I, I just feel it gets compromised uh when I have to also compromise with sharing that space with so many people I don't know I just end up not enjoying the music I find I, I find myself being more preoccupied with being distracted and getting around and just being there comfortably enough I think music maybe it's just anxiety or something no, I, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> they have stuff for that you know I might need it I might enjoy a concert in my stuff. life um yeah, I think that music is, by its very nature, though, a selfish experience. Not that it has to be only selfish, but at the end of the day, you're the one that has your own preferences. When I go home and I'm alone in my room, no, no one gives a fuck what I'm listening to except for me. Like when my friends aren't around, my family, like there are there are there is music in my iTunes right now that I fucking love, but I would never play it at a party. I would never play it in the car with my friends. Ever because That's what I, I would end up be trying to do fucking embarrassed. N- not embarrassed because they might think that it's weird, but because I just want they're special to me for some reason, so I want that experience or whatever. And Brandon was saying that it it's selfish. I don't think it is. I think it's good to have music that no matter what your friends like, no matter what the person you're dating is with, like your parents, whoever, you gotta still like your own shit at the end of the day and be able to enjoy that stuff like no matter like when you're on your own you, you we build our own heroes people are important to us for like we all have reasons why certain bands are important to us or why certain songs make us cry or remember a person or a, a, a moment in time or growing up or something and like to want like there are songs like that that i just can't listen to with people or that i have to be alone to just take it in and, and enjoy it so that's my so let's start to wrap it up because it's getting a little late. It's Friday night. And we all have to go work. Well, I have to work tomorrow. You guys have tomorrow off. Well, we were talking about live music. You really never enjoyed a concert live? No, I've enjoyed concerts. Okay. Maybe I just took that wrong. But um, generally, I find myself disappointed with the experience. Uh, but if there's a band I could go back and see live, it'd be King Crimson from the 70s. Um. They were a progressive rock band, um, and you hear a lot about, you know, the really wanky kind of over-opulent progressive music from bands like Yes and ELP and stuff, but King Crimson, like, flew under the radar a little bit because they were just, they had this chemistry, and they were more dark, they were more, uh, and they would improvise things on stage, and they put some of that stuff on their own albums and it's amazing so that was a completely different like band um and they went through bands left and right and they kind of crapped out some really bad albums just a lot of different i don't know what the fuck happened but uh robert fripp decided to scrap the whole thing after the last band disappeared and he just went out and he got these musicians uh bill brufford from yes for drumming john wetton um who was a bassist, and he ended up being their vocalist. Uh, but I forget where he came from. I did, did some session work or something like that. And this random violinist, uh, David Cross, and they ended up they are they could be so heavy, but so smart, which is what I love about them. And they'll fuck with you. 
Like what album in particular do you think is like heavy and or did, that you really enjoy? They have two albums that are very close, but if I had to choose one, it's Red by King Crimson. And in fact, the live song off Red, they recorded in Providence. It was an improv, and the song's called Providence. So I kind of have a special connection because it's one of my favorite albums. And uh, That's what we're recording right now. You wouldn't want to play it right now because it would just, like, it's a fucked up song, but it's fucked up in the, the best way possible. Do you guys want to end it with our top five albums? And, and I don't know. Even they don't have to be just five. Just name a, five, a bunch of albums you love all of your heart and soul kind of thing. And like, cause I'm going to look back at this and be like, I should have said this. I should have said this. I should have said that. Brandon, go. So I've talked about a couple of them already. Uh, King Crimson Red, or Red by King Crimson. Um, New's first album, their self-titled album. Uh, Daft Punk's Discovery. We're down on a wire here. But um, I... We'll have to say Funhouse by the Stooges and Oh, I'm clawing for the one more it's kind of, and it's kinda of hard to do. Yeah, I think I'm gonna choose Exile on Main Street by Good the choice. Rolling Stones. So I don't know let's hope I remember like all my choices, but Folly Insanity Later, Atrey You, Suicide Notes and the Butterfly Kisses. Stretch Armstrong, Revolution Transmission, Taking Back Sunday, Tell All Your Friends, Thursdays, Full Collapse, Streetlight Manifestos, Everything Went Numb, Big D in the Kids Table, Good Luck, God, there's just so many. Oh, God, the first brand new album, this Your Favorite Weapon, uh, Frank Turner, Love, Irony, and Song, I don't know, there's just so much great music, but those are a bunch of albums close to my heart forever. Oh, my God, the f- Blink-182's Blank- 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 Dude Ranch. I still listen to it all the time. I feel like I still listen to a lot of the same music from ten years, like ten or fifteen years, like twelve years ago. Mike, your turn. Well, we'll have to. We have to do this. We'll have to actually have you come back, Brandon, because I can't talk about. I had a whole thing actually written out for my five albums, but I, I don't have it with me here, so I don't even actually remember what they are because I had given it a lot of thought. But off the cuff. Um, I think Bob Dylan's Blonde on Blonde uh, is one for me. Um, I think um, Led Zeppelin 1 is one for me, and this is in no particular order. Um, I think Magical Mystery Tour by the Beatles is another one. I think it's a really close tie between Van Halen, self-titled, and Van Halen's 1984 it has um, to be the self-titled. Because, yeah, it is the self-titled, but only because technically it's it's a better album, and I but I enjoy 1984 more, but they're both really good. And, oh, shit, um, man, I guess I'd probably have to put, I guess I'd have to put uh, Metallica's Master of Puppets in there. Um, just, I will never forget my seventh grade teacher, Mr. Rigo gave me a copy of master of puppets to take home. Yeah. And as like a 12 year old or 12 year old kid with ADHD, uh, and a natural inclination for rhythm, it made my fucking brain explode. And that was an album that really turned me on as a kid. So those are probably like a quick five. 
Saint Anger, what the fuck happened, man? Their it's... best album. <laughs> it's like they took a million dollars and like, how can we sound horrible? <laughs> I'm, all right, and before we shit on Saint Anger, do not forget the song they did with Jaw Rule that everyone likes to forget they did. It's possibly one of the worst songs I've ever heard in my entire life. It was before Saint Anger. Well, like every band has, not every band has bad albums, but like, but some, but like you have to also take into account the fact that there was dissension with from coming from within the band, drug problems, alcohol problems. So uh, there are, I will say, there are a lot of well-known bands who have had low moments. It happens to everybody. Like I love Lou Reed, I fucking love. Like I think uh, if I think Velvet Revolver, Velvet Revolver's um, um, self-titled album was just squeezed out of the top five, but it could easily be in the top five. But when he did... You mean Velvet Underground? Velvet Underground. Okay. I was about to say Velvet Revolver's self-titled. Uh, no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> yeah. Velvet Underground. Did I say Velvet... I didn't say Velvet Revolver, did I? I think you did. Well, for Velvet Underground. I might be wrong. Yeah. I'm it, pretty tired. <laughs> but when Lou Reed did um, that album like a few years back with Metallica, it was fucking dog shit. It was so bad. I think it was actually the worst album Metallica ever did and and simultaneously the worst album Lou Reed ever did. It was fucking horrible. I don't remember the name of it, Reload. but it was a collaboration. It was awful. Is it re- Reload? Or Reload? No, it was like a girl's name or like L- Lola. I think I think it was actually called Lola. I don't know. Google it. St. Anger is still worse. Yeah, well, there wasn't a single guitar solo on that entire album, and they gave Lars all the power. They openly admit the album sucks. I do. Metallica has some of the best music maybe ever. That stuff they did with the uh, San Francisco Symphony Orchestra was amazing. But Brandon, thanks for coming on again. Well, thanks for having um, me. It was a nice chat. Come back <laughs> and peace, yo. Let's chat again real soon. Bye, guys. <laughs>